Hello and welcome back to the InfraDig podcast, the podcast service brought to you by IJ Global, Infrastructure Journal. My name is Angus Leslie Melville, Editorial Director of IJ Global, and I host InfraDig. Today, I'm rather pleased to welcome an interesting guest, Henri Yoki, founder and chief executive of Exarm Limited. Henri, welcome to InfraDig. Hi, Agnes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Excellent to have you here. Uh, Henri, now, I, I'm really pleased to have you on InfraDig because this is exactly the sort of podcast that I meant to run from inception. My, my primary goal with InfraDig was to delve into sectors where knowledge was lacking across the infrastructure and energy finance community. And this is where I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say on artificial intelligence. But let's start with an introduction. Henri, uh, can you briefly tell us about you and then a few a few more words on Exarm? Over to you. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, you could say I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, uh, now running my third company, I have a few, uh, few exits. I'm a basically electrical engineer from the first degree. I did like superconductors, uh, fusion, modern electric energy technologies. Then I went on to uh, study a couple of um, business master's degrees and then uh, the sales degree. Uh, the first jobs uh, I had was with the Accenture. I did like global ICT consulting in Finland, in US, building electronic medical records, custom case management system for the Ministry of Justice. Then I went to uh, work as a chief information officer of a hospital district, managing like uh, 300 ITC systems and so on. Uh, after which I uh, founded my second company doing software service for the healthcare sector and, and in, in two years, uh, four months, I had an uh, exit after serving, servicing all the Finnish, most of the Finnish public health mm -hmm. institutions, subsidiary in Sweden and an operation is North, North Norway. But this company is now uh, what I'm currently building, we're now on our third year. And uh, briefly introducing what we're doing at the moment. So this is kind of like I'm using all the stuff I've learned through the past 20 years. Um, and basically what we're doing is we're accelerating the green energy transition through offering radically cost-effective uh, grid balancing capacity uh, for the for the transmission systems, system operators to keep the grids in balance while we add like tons and tons of winds and solar. Yes. So that's a great summary. Okay. Well, you know, it's uh, quite a deep history in both infrastructure and energy. So um, perfect for our um, listenership, if that word exists. Okay. So thanks for that. Um, no, when, when, back to what I was saying a second ago, when, when, when I say that InfraDig was its original remit was to delve into areas where knowledge is lacking across the infrastructure, energy, finance community. This was really driven by a conversation with a London banker at a German bank. And this was a long time ago. I was talking about the A model and the F model motorway programs in Germany. Turned out he didn't know the difference between the two. I mean, he was. He said that, yeah, come on, it's a, it's a motorway in Germany. Of course, we're going to lend to it. But the reality was, he didn't know the difference. And when I told him, he was delighted to hear. So my my goal when I started Infradig was to explain 
what things are so that people don't need to blag so much. They actually understand. Now, the role of AI in infrastructure and energy, this really ticks this box massively for me. People talk about it, but I feel they don't really get how it will be integrated into their workflows. And they're not alone, I don't know either. Can you set us off to a flying start by explaining how your AI pilot project in Finland works and how you believe it can be deployed at greater scale? Tell us all about it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, kind of like if we look at the green energy transition and the grid balancing, basically you need to have a lot of balancing capacity on the consumption side to be able to uh, balance the grids. Because basically, face it, sometimes there's too much wind, sometimes there's not enough. So the grid needs to be flexible on the consumption side. Now, how do you do this in practice? So this is basically where the AI steps in. Uh, before we kind of like look at in detail, kind of like what is it, how we are doing, I, I, from my perspective, I would categorize like the uses of AI basically into two, two different categories in the, in the infra. You can forecast the markets. Um, basically, when you forecast, then you know better what you, you, you should do. And with that uh, informed knowledge, you can have your assets running on a higher kind of like a business performance. And then the other, other dimension is basically optimization. So uh, when you're doing um, like big industrial assets, uh, there's a lot of uh, parts and details into how they, how they actually run. So then uh, running these AI um, uh, algorithms can help you determine like uh, what's the best use to uh, have your assets, assets running basically. So, so for us, kind of like our application, and, and I know and you probably agree, there's a lot of hype in the, in the AI. I just recently <laughs> went to class, and uh, uh, everybody's saying like, you know, everybody has AI, and, and everybody's kind of like hyping all about it, but not many, you know, actually have a real use, use for it. So kind of like for, for us, what it means basically, um, we are using the AI to forecast the, forecast the markets. And there's like components like the price levels and then uh, the activation and then on the cost side, cost side as well. And with those kind of like time series uh, forecasting, we can uh, determine what's the best use to run our, uh, run our assets in. Mm-hmm. And we are making business decisions based on those, those forecasts. So, so essentially you are choosing when to, is this through battery storage? You're, you're, you're choosing when to release the power and to get the best price or when the grid needs it most? Is, is, is that, is that what you do? Yeah. They're kind of like, um, if you look at the, like the infra, infra and the grid balancing, there's like two different big categories. Uh, those are those, uh, virtual power plant aggregators, basically operators who are taking other people's loads and then offering them to the balancing, uh, balancing markets. And then you have those operators who are kind of like digital only, and they are maybe optimizing the, uh, battery assets. There's a few companies, uh, in, in that, that domain we could basically name. Uh, however, in our case, we've been looking at it, that we want to build our own assets. We want to build them as, uh, with the price point, nobody has ever done so. And then we are using the software layer, which has the AI component. Uh, to optimize optimize the assets. Okay, okay. Okay, so you've told us now about your grid balancing pilot in Finland and how it's going to support green energy transition. 
Now, it's, it's really interesting, but let, let's take a more uh, macro view of how AI will impact the international infrastructure and energy community. Now, I, I reached out to a few contacts, mostly infrastructure funds and bankers, if I'm honest, and I've got some questions for you. But yep. let's start with a really grassroots one. <laughs> yep. that is, it seems the best place to start. Basically, how can AI benefit the industry in layman speak? So keep it simple. Yeah. So as I've seen kind of like in my uh, early days, like working in the IT, IT sector, and that's it really like the energy sector, you're kind of like managing assets and there are a lot of like laborious, um, like laborious tasks and that you need to uh, control or do and, and do similar things um, many, many times. So kind of like, I, I would say that basically two things, uh, automating, uh, with the higher intelligence, mm -hmm. like those lower, lower, lower intellect, uh, level jobs mm -hmm. and then, uh, efficient asset use. Mm -hmm. So basically getting more money of the stuff you already have and then, uh, doing, uh, doing less, uh, of that monkey work, you could say. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. I hear what you're saying. Okay, um, th this question is posed by an investment banker and it's specific to your pilot project. Um, how does your AI solution calibrate grid balancing and does it allow for grid systems to optimize for regulatory outperformance? If so, what may suffer as a result? And would that change how these businesses are regulated, making them less attractive for investment? Yeah, I, I understand like a banker would ask a question of uh, regulation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you look at like, uh, how, how does the grid balancing work in reality? Mm -hmm. You have the, the TSOs, which is the acronym for transmission system operators. Yeah. So basically those are the ones, you know, transmitting the energy from the generation into the consumption. Mm -hmm. And, and basically the grid balancing is based on standards. Mm -hmm. Like here in the Nordic countries, we have a very kind of like detailed standards and European wide, there are general standards that, uh, the balancing, uh, technical details are kind of like related to. So when the TSO is, uh, buying, uh, balancing capacity from the market, it's basically saying like, these are the technical, uh, this is the technical box you need to kind of like have your operations running in. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I don't really see that, uh, AI will be disrupting that into a greater, uh, greater amount. Cause basically what you can use it in practice, like I said, is the forecasting and optimization. It, it, it will not happen so that, that there's a, some, uh, intelligent AI and that's in control of all of the assets. And then the AI goes mad and everything will burn down. So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, it's it, it, it basically kind of like very strict, uh, logic, which is programmed in, in, in the industrial automation and, and AI is not in control of the, of the, of the operations per se. Okay, that, that actually does resonate with one of the folks that I reached out to saying, well, haven't we all seen this in Terminator? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the end of days, I, I, I imagine you hear that a lot though. Um, so you, you, you're saying that's not something we should be worried about. <laughs> no, 
Oh, maybe if we do cool science fiction movies, we can do stuff like that. Not in reality, it's not like that. Excellent. You're on record saying that. Good, good. <laughs> There's a lot of people who sleep better at night tonight. Okay, let's let's bring it back to your company, Exam. And this is a question from me. Um, in the case of your AI solution and your growth plan, what yep. role does AI play? Yes, yes. So that's a that's a good point to have. Like we we kind of like looked at like how many uh, transmission system operators there are in the world, mm. uh, how many different standards of balancing the grids, mm -hmm. uh, and then how many individual markets there are we need to target, and then how many directions like basically regulating the grid frequency up or grid frequency low, and then. Then you need to look at the forecast of the cost side and then activating, basically kind of like figuring out when they are turned on or when they are turned off. So kind of like doing a kind of like a rough scale of estimate, we were looking at that they probably globally we would need to access uh, 2,000 to 3,000 different APIs. Mm. So you, you can kind of like, and the, the big vision is like, we want to build um, uh, this intelligence system that can uh, see, understand, and analyze the business performance of a specific size uh, balancing asset globally. Mm -hmm. So, so then basically we'd be uh, building these assets that we can move around the world. Uh, but it's such a huge amount of data and understanding. Uh, so we need to have these neural network AI uh, models to make sense of all that data. Mm -hmm. So, so that's basically the use and the the vision. So it'll be in a key role. Mm -hmm. Uh, but not kind of like uh, burning the world to sound like I did before. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yep. Uh, again, comforting to hear. Um, okay, one of my sources uh, is, is uh, someone who works mostly in the Middle East. He, he had a question on pipelines and how AI can be deployed to identify leaks. Um, is this something that you'd look at? And can you explain how I, I, AI will work in this space? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's basically like um, when it, when you have a video feed or an image, something like that, and there's a movement mm -hmm. in the image. So we were kind of like looking, for example, on our side, like one uh, installation where there were movement, and we were thinking like, okay, how could we easily uh, map this out? Like what's on and what's not. So then we figured out, okay, we could put like 100 sensors, or then we could have just one video camera <laughs> with an AI to figure out like which where the movement is and then deciding which is on or not. So so this similar kind of like video recognition uh, would apply to kind of like these uh, pi pipelines that basically you would have a camera, maybe depending on the size of the pipe, just, you know, looking at it externally or then going in internally in the, in the pipe and, and doing all that video stuff. And then the, the AI would determine kind of like based on the image recognition that if, if there's a, some kind of like anomaly, basically something that shouldn't be there, and then kind of like flag flag it for the uh, inspectors kind of like attention. Mm. So instead of one person kind of looking at, uh, you know, tens of hours of footage of uh, some robot walking in a pipe, mm -hmm. you could just, you know, see the flags that is this something that, you know, you should check it or, uh, or it doesn't really matter. So something like that, I think it would be super useful. Uh -huh. It sounds a lot more, dare I use the term, analog than high-tech, because um, it's just the, the high-tech end is viewing a video um, rather than having somebody, some human doing it, really. It's, it's, it's as simple as that.
Yeah, I suppose it's like level of the technology, like that's where you would start. Mm -hmm. But once you kind of like develop this more fancy stuff, mm. then uh, you, the AI would figure, yeah, this is something that would need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And then if you have uh, automated robots, you would send automatically the robot on site and then automatically the robot would be fixing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So then you could, you know, multiply this to hundreds or thousands and then have a one command center where you're just observing the whole operation. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, to build like, you know, tech like this, you, you need to have the, the first levels are, mm -hmm. you know, fully functional and working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, now this is uh, from a contact in the infrastructure banking community. Now, this person was keen to know how you think AI will be integrated into banking, so this is a bit broader, um, how it's going to impact the pyramid, uh, given certain tasks will be automated. Let me flesh that out a bit. Um, so if you see a team as a pyramid thinning as it goes up each rank to MD level, uh, will AI result in fewer juniors on a banking team? Yes, yes. So that's a that's a kind of very very good question. So kind of like if you think of it in practice, like um, what I said, like mentioned, like forecasting optimization, we could add maybe a third one here, mm -hmm. analysis. So we've all used ChatGPT and various tools to kind of like come up with text. So uh, it, you c it can do that. That's a kind of like a no brainer. But when you're looking kind of like a financial analyst, uh, especially in the lower lower tiers, they are basically, you know, they're getting a report mm -hmm. with a lot of text and numbers, and they need to figure out that is this a uh, worthy case for for something. So they need to do some sort of an analysis. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised that uh, some some of these uh, lower tier uh, analysis jobs would be automated, basically. So it goes back to the monkey monkey jobs. So the the lower intelligence. Uh, like manual laborers jobs mm -hmm. would be automated mm -hmm. because the, the bot can do it faster and probably with a higher precision uh, than an analyst sometime, you know, mm -hmm. taking a nap during the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of worrying though, because when you think about the, the pyramid itself, that you only get to the top of the pyramid by having been at the bottom of the pyramid. And it's your learning experience of being an analyst and then progressing through and learning the skills of a banker and, or a lawyer, etc. Um, it's only from doing that grunt work that you can become a partner in a law firm, a managing director in a bank. If you don't have the fundamental, say, financial modeling skills, um, you, you're not going to make for a very good banker unless you're just a purely salesman style banker. But if you're, if you're a technical banker, you have to develop those skills. So. I suppose that's a smaller pool of people who are going to develop those skills and emerge up the ranks. Is that not slightly worrying? No, I kind of like see if you, if you take it like on a higher level, like whatever technology you have, uh, you basically, you know, start using that technology. So many of the things we have uh, already today, we have automated, optimized, you know, come to, an, come to a new level. So it'll be just a bunch of new players. Mm -hmm. So basically, if I would, you know, I don't have a banking experience, but if you would say like, okay, Henry, now you need to be a banker 
uh, and here's a few million, you know, to launch your business. Mm -hmm. So I would probably, you know, inspired, inspired by this talk, mm -hmm. I would probably uh, hire a few uh, AI and banker bankers and then look at like, what would be the uh, like roles where I could automate a lot of like very laborious analysis. Mm -hmm. So could we build with, with a team of three, uh, basically an investment bank mm -hmm. where we are take, doing the, the work of maybe 500 people mm -hmm. with, with just us three and then bunch of servers. Mm -hmm. and, and then that would be the value basically, because we are just using technology and doing with the technology stuff that you before, you know, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people were doing. So, so, and I see that that's, you know, the general trend in like when we have technology, you don't need so many pe people basically. And I kind of like believe that in a future, um, do we all really need to work? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like what I would see kind of like where our kind of like, we are like brilliant. Like when you're like working and doing stuff that you are really passionate mm. about, like me and grid balancing, mm. like I could, you know, form my mouth, you know, start to <laughs> explain this stuff to so, uh, yeah. so, so, so basically and I live and breathe this 24 seven. Mm -hmm. So if, if all of the people would be doing 24 seven passionately, mm -hmm. a thing that they are actually doing, I think that would bring the greatest value to the society instead of kind of like doing monkey jobs, uh, you know, hours long and getting depressed and suicidal and, you know, yes. that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and um, I, I suppose when you think about journalism as well, there's an awful lot of the grunt work could be done by a computer. Oh my goodness, I shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> yeah. But um, those of us who actually feel passionate about the sector can uh, yep. do the cherry on top. Well, yep, yep. I don't see it coming anytime sooner. I do hope not, because um, <laughs> I think there's a bit more to journalism than just um, letting a computer churn out words. But um, yeah, yeah, there is a certain I amount. I agree. I agree. Thank yeah. the dear Lord you agree. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> dokie. Um, here's a question um, that's a bit more worrisome than some of the previous ones. Um, now, who takes responsibility for damages if artificial intelligence makes a mistake? Okay, okay. So uh, let's put it very practical. In our case, the AI is doing the forecasting. Mm -hmm. So uh, if, if it's uh, wrong, uh, we are we need to pay. So so it's pretty pretty simple. Mm -hmm. The AI's forecast of the of the price was wrong. And we needed to pay. Or then, if we would take some sort of an optimization asset, and then uh, they give us some sort of an output, you should do this, and then you break up the whatever machine it is, mm. then you know the owner of the machine needs to pay. So I, I think it's kind of like comes into the to the question that like how much of control you want to give to the AI, okay. and in in specific what part of your process uh, the AI is kind of like operating in and and that will limit uh, limit the responsibility and at the end kind of like whatever service or product you're generating you are kind of like uh, you are in control of the costs and uh, in income so you, uh, the, I think the business operators would need to kind of like be in control mm -hmm. and not giving too much control mm -hmm. to the AI and being smart about it. 
I suppose when you pull together a contract, you, you'll have um, a menu of risk that the client is willing to take. Um, and yeah. you will caveat that, well, if you, if you outsource 100% um, decision making to this machine, then that risk is on you. Um, whereas if, if you're taking our advice and um, factoring it in, it's there for you to catch any potential mistakes. Uh, Yes. I, I'm guessing that you're covering your back that way. Yeah, yeah. and I, I see kind of like any and all expert systems, what they record, Kurt Schwab was reading or writing like years back is basically you can have a lot of fancy tech, mm -hmm. but it's really up to the expert, whether, whether it's an electrical engineer or a lawyer or a banker or a, a physicist, basically. Mm -hmm. So the expert AI system can give whatever kind of like uh, suggestions, but it's, it's the expert, the, the human intelligence that needs to evaluate that is this a good suggestion or maybe perhaps something else. Okay, so there you have it. It's, um, it's a tool that is to be adopted to the extent that you're comfortable with. You have no intention of um, arming these with... Um, with um, machine guns anytime soon, so that's good. Um, and I think that'll keep us safe for the here and now. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, I, I, I think that kind of brings us to the end of our time for today's podcast. All that's left for me is to thank you, Henri, for taking time to join us on Infradig. Thank you very much. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Agnes. Pleasure was all my side. Excellent. And for the listener, as always, I hope you found this to be anything but Infradig. <laughs>